0: No. will be
1: Right, today's show is brought to you by MarriageSupply.com. Marriage Supply is the best place on the internet. Know the earth to find quality adult toys at great prices. Also, unlike other sites, Marriage Supply has no nudity or porn on the site, so you don't have to delete your internet history. Like Marky Mark said, come on, feel the vibrations with MarriageSupply.com. Mary Beth, how you doing?
2: Good. How are you
1: I'm pretty good. Uh no no Matt Carter tonight so I'm actually I feel free. I
2: know we're going to get feel, a word in tonight I think. I, I, that's, I I, that's
1: exactly what I was saying. I was like I'm going to actually get to hear thoughts by Mary Beth yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, we, we'll get to talk and all that. I'll try not to talk uh, talk too much either, but uh I know that uh, so you you've done several of these with us now and I was thinking that you know folks, uh, you know, I know in the BC club most folks know you, but a lot of people out there uh, listening. Don't. So uh, I thought it'd be fun to do. I just typed in Google. Uh, like thought thought questions or questions thought uh, topics to talk about. Um, to see if any of these sparked, and I'll I'll answer them too. Okay. But uh, interesting. If I can find it here. Yep. So I'm gonna ask you some questions, and we're gonna get. Uh, we're, we <laughs> should. This should be a segment or something. Uh, I was gonna say go going deeper with Mary Beth. That just sounded weird. <laughs>
2: Considering the kind of stuff that I do as a hobby, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay, I like this. Let's get right into it, a deep one, right here off the bat. Uh, If you could ask for a miracle, what would it be?
2: Ooh, Lord. I need a lot of different miracles in my life right now.
1: Oh, you need several. Mm
2: -hmm. You go first, though. Ah
1: if I, a miracle I, I what constitutes a miracle you know what i mean like the the thing like is it something that's feasible but you just didn't see it coming? like or is it like jesus walking on the water like is something impossible
2: oh, that's a good question
1: I, I mean that's what i don't know like cuz i mean a real miracle would you wish for somebody that died to come back to life or something like that but then i i mean is it like a you know a scary wish that they end, it ends up being a zombie or something like that i'll say <laughs> I would say I would love to see my abs. I, my whole, I'm 45 years old. I've never <laughs> seen one ab in my body, not once. I can remember, it's so funny, my daughter graduated uh, fifth grade today, and so she's going to be in sixth grade. And I can remember when I was in fifth grade, and my mom picked me up from school that day for whatever reason. She never did. And she said, Toby, you know what? This this summer's going to be great for you. I think you're going to, as she said, you're going to grow a little bit taller, and you're going to lose that baby fat. Oh my god! And gosh. she was a liar. <laughs> she was such a liar. My mom was a damn liar because I did not. I, I only added. I, I added to like early, you know, late, late, early teens. Oh yeah, fat. I just added to that. So I've <laughs> never seen an ab. That I think that would be a miracle if I woke up and saw saw a six pack. I don't even know. I might not even like well, you it. you do it with yourself? Weird. I
2: mean, you wouldn't even know how to act.
1: I know. Would I be a jerk? Would I be a bad person? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that if you just, you know, if you could just slim (laughs) down immediately or something like that, it probably would be bad for you. It just wouldn't be that good, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, but it just would be nice. I just, I've never seen that on my body. Yeah. I just think it would be so amazing. Anyway,
2: I would, you got one? I would consider that too. um, But I actually think, kind of like you said, it, it might be bad because I've seen a lot of people talk about how, like, when they do lose a lot of weight, how differently everyone treats them like in a positive way yeah. but then it like really makes them think about how they're finally being treated like any other human now whereas whenever they were still overweight right. they were like okay what was wrong with me then you know but right. um i almost went with something really like predictable like a million dollars or something like that <laughs> um, that would be pretty awesome <clears throat> like just enough for me to Get me and yeah. my family out of debt, and the rest, right? I don't give a shit, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm also, yeah, I better not. <clears throat> what direction do I want to go in? Yeah, there? this is tough. Well, the
1: money one's a good one. I think the money was a good one because what you're saying is the way I always feel like I don't, if you, if it just. If it was enough where you just felt a little bit like it, I don't care about being rich at all, mm-hmm. but I just want to make sure everything's okay. That when you need money, mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. Like I don't even, I don't, I don't want want money. Like I don't care about super nice cars or whatever. Like my, uh, 2006 Toyota Sienna van, it's all beat up to hell. It looks terrible. <laughs> I love that thing. I'm scared it'll die at some point. Yeah. And I not, so I don't need, I wouldn't, I, would, I don't want anything like that, but. You know, money changes you. It's, yeah. I mean, if you had a million dollars tomorrow, you, would you stay in your apartment? Would you go, you know what? I'm going to get myself a house and I'm going to, you know, my, my car, mm-hmm. it could do better. You know, you'd start, you You would convince yourself that you need something. Yeah. It would be really easy to do. So
2: I'm also money's like, a hard
1: one. But I would, money's a good one. I'm
2: the kind of person, too, that I'm like, I better do this now while I have money because I know it's not going to last.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So if I right. want something, I better get it now before it's all gone. <laughs> And then before right. you know it, it's all gone. It just makes it's gone. so much sense. But I'm, I'm going to go with that. I know. I'm going to go it, with that. The,
1: the funniest thing in the world is when you have a little bit of money and you just, you know, you walk a little different. You're like, <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, you order something on Amazon and you don't sweat it mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't look for the cheapest price. It's, just, it's good. All right. Here's another one. Uh, what, this is a good one. What is the biggest risk you've ever taken?
2: Oh, oh, man, I am so risk-averse. I am scared of everything. <laughs> so that's a You've good question. You've
1: never taken a risk?
2: <laughs> I have, but it's very calculated to the point where I'm like, I don't even want to fucking do it anymore. <laughs> I've thought too much about this shit. Just forget it. <laughs> um, Man, that is a good one.
1: You've taken a risk before. Come on.
2: Yeah, but mine are You've lame. You've done something. Mine are That's super okay. Lame.
1: But for you they're a risk. So what is what is a risk for you?
2: Um
1: I mean that one time that uh somebody said something mean to you and you murdered them. That could have gotten you in a lot of trouble.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um it's risky now that everyone knows, <laughs> but um now that everybody I, damn it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to kill you now, so <clears throat> Jeez, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm thinking of stuff like I took a risk and moved in with someone I didn't know, or, um, yeah, I don't know, drove to BC Con. Uh,
1: That's normal in one
2: day when it was like a 12 hour drive, you know, just like nothing exciting. Yeah. I guarantee you, though, but you don't like,
1: you don't like risk.
2: Mm mm. No I guarantee you I'm going to think Not Of something later And be like Damn it That would have been A good one to oh, mention yeah, that, But that
1: I will never Like my son was talking To me about like Skydiving that one Nothing like that I could never do that Mm-mm. I don't even think Some people would say You know Moving out to Seattle from South Carolina After we graduated college Was a risk But I don't I don't really feel like That was a risk That was more just We just did something And we didn't care If we failed So you know what I mean Like mm-hmm. it Worst case scenario we thought was we'll go out to Seattle for six months and then nobody cares and we want to go home. Yeah. And so it wasn't really it didn't really feel like a risk. I guess I'm not much of a risk taker. Like I I don't like even getting in cold water or, you know, at the <laughs> ocean. If it's cold, I don't even go I don't go in oh yeah immediately. I guess maybe maybe I'm kind of risk adverse. I'm trying to think, like, I mean yeah, I mean, uh, I yeah, I don't even dabble much in stocks. I, I play it. It's pretty safe, so oh, I guess yeah. maybe we're both pretty bored. I mean,
2: to be honest, well, there's two things that come to mind. One, I think even for me coming on the podcast and being yeah. like even semi-public, like that felt risky to me um, yeah. just because obviously like I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing and This shit's going to be on the internet forever. So it's going to follow me. And I run my mouth. And uh, also I almost, I will say I almost took a risk and up and quit my job last week with nothing lined up because I had fucking had it. (laughs) (laughs) I was so (laughs) close. I had had it written up on my computer and I was like, I'm going to push print. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it And uh, of course I didn't So um, That's right. about as close to risk As I probably get
1: I think that's That's almost like uh, Writing that message To somebody on Facebook Like you At least you wrote it out And then you don't have to send it Like mm-hmm. once you see it You're like wait Hold on Maybe I'm being emotional Maybe I can think this through You know it's a bad day I mean that happens to everybody But that that's really funny That you Had it ready to go And you're like nah I won't that, Oh, it's that, still there I still flirt right with goal. it
2: Every so often I'm like hmm <laughs> i see you i see that file in there yeah. okay i'm coming back you change to you.
1: sentence here or there so.
2: don't you worry
1: <laughs> all right uh anthony's gonna be here in a minute but uh do you you want a serious one or sure, not me. maybe not okay this one okay I'll i'll let you decide which one i'll give you two okay one is how do you think you will die hmm. and the other one is what has been the lowest point of your life that was pretty serious. Ooh. I'll take the lowest point in my life. I'll, I'll do that one, and you can decide which one you want to do. Okay. Uh, lowest lowest point of my life. It's funny because you know how you're different at different ages. Like a low point for you at 18 wouldn't probably affect you as much now. You right. know, maybe somebody said something mean to you in high school, but now you go, yeah, fuck off or something like that. <laughs> uh, but in in high school and I guess my first year of college. I did. I lost my license because I had I was underage with alcohol in the car, and so and I kept driving. So I went to Greer Jail for like just like four or five hours. That that Greer, South Carolina jail, and then I got caught. Uh, I came home for summer and uh, I had long hair, and my dad said, "You are gonna cut that hair. You are not staying here this summer." And I was like, "Forget it!" And I threw this. <laughs> I threw my plate of Bojangles fried chicken <laughs> in, in the in the sink, went upstairs, packed my bag, and left, right? The next day, I went and stayed at a friend's house that night. Uh, the next day, I'm driving to my summer job, and I was speeding because I was late, and a cop pulled me over, and I didn't have a license. And I went oh, to shit. Greenville County Jail for two days, and that felt low
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean that felt low i mean i just was i mean they, you know
2: yeah it,
1: i was scared i didn't know what was gonna happen at all you know and i was like oh man because I, I was in a cell with like 12 other dudes and they i mean they were kind of nice but they they messed with me a little bit they didn't do anything bad but just like you know saying they were you know uh you bet one of the guys like uh, i was trying i had a mat i slept on a mat Oh and God. one of the guys was like, "You better sleep with your ass to the wall, or you are gonna get fucked tonight." I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, here we go." I was like, "Well, this is it. This is it.
2: This is how I go." And he
1: was, "Yeah," I was like, "Well, I'm either gonna I, either I'll hate it or I'll love it. We're gonna find <laughs> out probably in of an hour."
2: Not how I wanted to experiment, so what, but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it'd be quite like that, but you know, uh, I thought at least I'd have a story, but so uh, nothing true. happened like that. But. But that felt low. And then there's been some times in my relationship with my wife where it felt really lonely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt lonely. And, and, and some of that was brought on by myself and my actions. You know, I'm not blaming her for that. Uh, but that, that relationships with people, friends, or you're, you know, somebody you love, uh, that can, that feels the loneliest son- mm-hmm. and lowest sometimes. You don't know because uh, you go to them when you're low. Yeah.
2: And if you
1: can't go to them because of your relationship, that's bad.
2: But, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Those are two for me. Yeah. What about you? Getting you up in jail at all?
2: Not yet. No, <laughs> not yet. I'm surprised. Um, I haven't done anything that crazy, but <clears throat> I've at least been to like some protests. I thought at least that would probably be my likeliest chance. But
1: yeah, you didn't throw anything at the
2: protest? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. You just
1: actually protested?
2: Yeah, I just screamed a lot. I don't know. <laughs>
1: protesting you didn't do anything i didn't break anything um what about death you want what about death you you think how
2: you'll die see i don't know because i am terrified again of everything and so yeah i constantly think this is this is the day i'm terrified of oh yeah my house getting broken into. i'm terrified of getting into a car accident like So it's either going to be something very predictable or some crazy shit that would only happen to me. And the one thing that I didn't prepare for, and that's going to piss me off and I will haunt everyone involved because I'm going to be mad as hell. Like, really? Y'all let me overthink everything else. And you left this one out and now I'm dead. This one. Fuck (laughs) y'all.
1: I'm a total hypochondriac, so I think I'm. I've been thinking I was going to die for you know most oh of my, my life.
2: Oh my god! Especially last life, year, I like,
1: I bet. Oh yeah, I mean, I just thought, oh well, I'll get, I'll get something. And mm-hmm. the funny thing about me is, when I think about my death, I always think I, I'm going to go. Oh, I feel like the my last words will be, oh, this is how it, and then I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what it, and I'll, I'll die. Every Struck time I ever got on a plane. When I've been on a plane, I think, oh, when it goes down, will I be screaming or will I go, ah, damn it, I knew it? <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I just feel like I, because I've thought so much about dying that I just go, oh, like you said, like if if something caught me off guard, I that I'd be more mad than, yes. than maybe that I was than dying the, the dying part. I'm just like, well, I got to die, but I'd be mad. Like <laughs> this is what it was. Shit, like I, it's gonna be oh, I, shit. I just know that. <laughs> And it'll be, I'm scared it'll be something really embarrassing, like you know, like yeah. anal cancer or something. I can't, or <laughs> you know, like I did, I did something, I just did something stupid, <laughs> yeah. And it just, it just got me, and I was like, damn it, that's what it is. But I don't know, it, it'll probably be something stupid, like Alzheimer's, and you know, something normal. It'll be cancer or al- Alzheimer's or something like that. But
2: yeah,
1: I don't know. I don't. I I mean, I don't think I am scared as much as I used to be. I think more as i've gotten older i'm like oh well i'm getting i I made it this far Mm -hmm. i did make it to 45 so that's pretty good yeah i mean that's not that's not too old but i mean making it to 45 is a little you know
2: you're almost i probably have halfway there kind of how are you
1: your late 20s yeah 26 26 a mid 20s so you got i mean 26 more years i mean you won't even be in your 60s yet so you got way over uh, double your life now that you're going to live. But me, I mean, if I make it, I'm 45. If I make it another 45 years, I'll be 90. There's no chance my brain's going to last that long or anything. There is zero <laughs> chance. So, you already know. I mean, there, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, I I've lived a little hard. I mean, just traveling and drinking and partying. Is the, I mean, I've had a hell of a good time. That's why I don't regret it because it's a it was a it's been a good life. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like I, I I've had it pretty good. So. I can't worry too much that I'm going to lose something because I've gotten so much. But
2: right, that makes um, sense.
1: All right. Well, I think we got Anthony here. If he can hear us. Yeah, I
0: can hear you guys just great. I got my right. phone recording as well.
1: All right, so we got Anthony. now is Anthony. Is it? Do you go by Tony or do you, is just Anthony's fine?
0: Anthony's cool. Um, my dad. I'm actually a junior, so my dad uh, goes by Tony. So, my no, okay. entire life has been Anthony. I don't mind it, but you you won't get a response if you yell it across the room, you know what I'm saying,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> right my uh because my name's Toby, my nickname has been Tony forever in the band. people will call me Tony all the time, just to I guess it's just funny, but uh <laughs> is it are, are you still pastor
0: Anthony? No, I pretty much uh so I resigned from my church plant, um which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, yeah. Really towards the tail end of 2020. I think it was the beginning of October um, and haven't really gone back into ministry. So it's kind of weird the way that the, the the Christian culture works when it comes to like ordination and how long somebody can be a pastor. You know, it's like yeah. you resign from a church and sometimes they want to call you pastor till, till you die, like presidency or something. So it's it's kind <laughs> right. of weird.
1: So, so you wrote us and you said, uh, let's just get into your story, but I thought it was interesting just because you left the ministry, but you kind of came up in that Acts 29, uh, you know, Mark Driscoll started the church planning, uh, organization, Acts 29, and then it kind of got booted out, but you were, so just give us a little background. Uh, you, you, you were a pastor in what, San Diego or something like that, California?
0: Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. Um, let me back up just a little bit. So I uh, yeah. I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. Um, and that was kind of a a radical kind of experience, as they would say. Um, really, it was the day after my honeymoon <laughs> that uh, I became a Christian. And over the course of the next year, just got super excited about reading the scriptures and learning about what all this means and, and all of that. And uh, shortly after that, really, it was only about a year and a half, I uh, started doing ministry Um, on a middle school campus with Campus Crusade. They had a a branch that was doing that age group um, down where I was in Southern California. Um, Then started in a a smaller Presbyterian church as a youth director, was there for a bit. And then uh, was helping another friend kind of plant a church. And this was all happening right around that time of of Acts 29 really kind of growing. So it was about three or four years in A29 where uh, if you remember those first few years, they didn't have any. And then all of a sudden, just exploded with hundreds of churches we were part of that kind of like initial explosion um so this was uh we moved from san diego to massachusetts really to plant a church there's a story around all of that too um but we moved in 2008 and joined A29 in somewhere around 2010 2011 um so you felt
1: like you were doing some god's work for leaving san diego
0: I mean, oh, totally. I mean <laughs> I've, kn- I've, I've known
1: several pastors who are like I got to go plant a church in San Diego. Nobody leaves San Diego. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. No, we get we get the question all the time. It was it was a it was a weird thing. I mean, there's there's a whole huge backstory to it. But um, the whole church planning concept, and when I had first become a Christian, it was my my attitude and desire was very entrepreneurial. I had actually come out of the restaurant industry, really wanted to open a restaurant. Um, and then when I became a Christian and I heard that you could start churches from scratch, I was like, that's a thing? Like you could do that? <laughs> and right. uh, I just got so inspired by it. And then all of the content that was coming through 829 and all of those other, um, really everybody who's kind of a part of that tribe, you know, the Gospel Coalition, Desire and God, all those kinds of things. And, yeah. and so I was just absorbing that content like crazy and uh, got this email from a friend who was like, Hey, you want to move to Springfield and plant a church? And uh, me and my wife were like, "What? No, no, no chance in hell. We're moving to Springfield." First of all, <laughs> what's funny is me and my wife didn't even know there was a Springfield, Massachusetts. We're like, we're like Illinois, sure, that'd be cool. And he's like, "No, Massachusetts." We're like, "There's a Springfield, <laughs> anyways." So uh, we're like, no way. Um, but then, sure enough, these this this random sort of things just started happening. Um, the church that I was ministering at uh started going just really kind of bonkers uh major splits happening um the church that was supporting us financially with uh, the ministry on campus couldn't help us anymore and uh the house that we started renting this was right at the the right before the bubble burst um yeah. these people weren't paying the mortgage so we had nowhere to live I had no money uh, uh, and we were like what should we do so we were like let's revisit that email and we we're like yeah, okay, let's start a it. church <laughs> So we, so we were like, all right, we'll help you plant a church. Um, so we sold everything, like no joke. Um, we had a two-year-old and a two-month-old, um, and we packed up our Chevy Tahoe. Uh, I took my kids and my wife to the airport, and I started driving. And uh, a few days later, we were in Western Massachusetts. and uh, Never yeah, had been so before? Never been never- to New England. Uh, had only been to New York City one time. On our honeymoon, not thinking we would ever live two hours away from it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But had never been to New England, so I had no idea what the winter was going to be like, what the culture was going to be like. Oh boy. Um We got were out. you.
1: Uh, so, when you chose uh, Acts twenty nine, though, were you like a Mark Driscoll fan, or like, would you follow him, or what made you choose Acts twenty nine? It was just your friend connection.
0: Yeah, a bit. So here's kind of what happened, right? We so we we get out here, and uh, the initial plan was to help this guy plan a church, and the story behind that was there's this Russian church in the area that's uh, just so culturally Russian, but they've got uh, the means to reach more people, just not the actual ability to, and they recognize it. So they're okay with like the huge you know, handful of families that they've got in this church, but they want to meet, you know, reach more English speaking people. So they asked this friend of mine, Hey, we'll fund it. We'll give you whatever. So he's like, yeah, and then I'll help him do this. Right. Well, like six months into it, both the Russian church and this guy were like, yeah, we're not really on the same page. And so they decided to squash the whole deal. Me and my wife were like, dude, we sold everything and moved across the All country right. to help this guy start a church. And now we have nothing. So this is where 829 comes in. We're like, should we stay? Should we go back? Um, and man, I don't know how to explain it because it sounds really odd unless you've had some of these kinds of experiences. But over the co- course of the next month or so, just walking through our city, there was something about it that me and my wife were just like, yeah, we, we got to be here. We got to stay here. And so uh, we decided to stay and figure out what it looked like to find some coaching and some help. And um, so A29, um, just because I already had a bunch of that content already, reached out yeah. to them, so got connected in, in that network, um, went through that whole appraisal process early on in those days, um, You know, was a candidate for a couple of years, and then was finally a you know, full-blown part of the network for, for quite some time. Um, my first, it's actually my first pastor and wives retreat, I think, or maybe it was the second, uh, where, uh, Driscoll was forced to resign. So it was right in that, in that time, so
1: as soon as you got in, that was when everything fell apart with, for Driscoll at, at Mars Hill.
0: Yeah, it was, it was really kind of odd because, you know, from my perspective, we didn't really see it coming. Like looking yeah. back now, there was a whole bunch of stuff that was pretty obvious, you know? Um, yeah that stuff was happening on, you know, behind the scenes and, and underneath and whatnot. Um, yeah. but no, when we joined, it was sort of like, man, the thing was going, it was going powerful. And it was Darren great.
1: Patrick. Was he the head of it at that time?
0: He was vice president at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: he ended up at the church I worked at Seacoast, the, uh, the former host Joey. Um, he, Darren Patrick was there. And then of course, you know, he committed suicide recently. I, I think that was sometime last year, which is just horrific. Did not see that coming. I don't think anybody did.
0: No, but, uh, man, I met him a handful of times at different conferences. He would have no idea who I am, but he was highly influential and helpful for me. It's, it's, yeah. It was quite, quite tragic for sure.
1: I mean, it was, it was crazy at that time. Cause so I worked at Mars Hill and left and about a year later, uh, is when everything went to shit. So you must've been out in Massachusetts then, but I remember Darren Patrick and Driscoll didn't get along for quite a while. I think they kind of patched stuff up a little bit, but uh, I remember it it was pretty rough for them for a while uh, just, you know, with, with everything that had happened.
0: Yeah. So part of uh, what I, what I thought would be interesting concerning the, the, you know, the, the topics that you guys have been hitting for, you know, the last few years since I've been listening to you guys, um, is uh, that sort of the, the angle of being a part of that sort of tribe and uh, f- not from the perspective of working within the church as you and, you know, you guys have, um, but really being a part of the network and, and uh, being a pastor yeah. for the amount of time that I was. And the, uh, the odd thing is uh, the reason that I no longer am is because of so many different changes that I've made my own theological perspectives, having put myself in a box, I basically lost my job. <laughs> so,
1: but, but before you get there, your church grew. So you, you got in Acts 29, uh, planted this church after, you know, moving across the country and you, you were the head pastor of it.
0: Yeah. So we, uh, so when we first, well, when we first decided to to stay in Massachusetts and join eight two nine, we were getting some coaching and all of this. I was going to seminary online. Um, and it really wasn't for about a couple of years that we had met some other local pastors and whatnot that we were like, you know what, let's let's see what we can do. So we started a small, uh, a small Bible study, um, just some friends that I had met. Um, interesting story is some people let me use a, a, a facility that they had. And I I started this like battle of the bands um, and met a bunch of people through that and just invited them to a uh, Bible study. And back then, man, this, we're talking, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, if you said to somebody, hey, I'm, I'm starting a church, you know, they're like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but man, nobody had any concept of what that meant to start something. from right. scratch. It sounded absolutely insane. Um, but sure you're enough, right.
1: I, ne- I never thought about that before. You're right. Like church planning wasn't uh, not that long ago. A new idea in a sense of just starting it fresh. We're going to move here and start a church.
0: Yeah. It it really is kind of a weird concept. I mean, the people around me at the time who I still I mean, I was a very young believer, so most all of my friends weren't Christians. They all thought I lost my freaking mind, man. Yeah um, <laughs> to move out with two kids across the country and start something from scratch was just absolutely yeah, to
1: a place you'd never been before either.
0: Yeah. But uh but we you started.
1: but you started it and it worked. So people liked your preaching? Yes,
0: yeah, so we got a small group of people and they just happened to be really talented and we, we grew to be friends and um we all had this great love for our city and really wanted to bring just the love of, of God into this place where it seemed like everybody felt like he had kind of abandoned them. And, uh, so this small, like ragtag group of people started this thing. It was, uh, I swear our first service, there was like six of us and that was like, including my entire family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it just started to, started to grow in this place where everybody said, there's no way to plant a church. And, Grew to multiple services, grew to great leadership, grew to providing for my family. Um, Yeah,
1: and you just and you were just doing the normal preaching every Sunday, caring about the growth. I mean, what is that? What the is that? What it was like your day to day was that like just writing sermons and trying to grow the church.
0: Yeah, so so here's what's weird, right? Is initially no, that wasn't the plan. Um, Having not been raised in the church, like that was actually something that. I almost immediately felt it was something that was wrong with it that it was so event based and so stage centric like that was it always rubbed me the wrong way when I would walk into those mega churches in southern california and just be like oh my gosh there's so much money in this place just in this one room right you know? mm-hmm. um and so no that didn't drive me at all I really loved the idea of people meeting in homes around their city and literally loving their neighbors you know and so yeah. that's kind of the way that we got off the ground. But then what's nuts is subconsciously the show began to override that initial vision. Um, because we started doing what we did on Sundays really well. And yeah. without realizing it, people compliment it. You find out that's why they're actually coming. It starts to feed your ego without you even realizing it. And right. next thing you know, the, the amount of energy that you're pouring into helping people love their neighbor Versus what you're going to say on a Sunday because you got to impress people radically shifts. You don't even realize it happens. It's right. just,
1: and you think God's doing it, like He's blessing the church, right? I mean, you yeah. can you can attribute it to God.
0: Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, what's sad about the whole thing is it ends up sucking everybody dry. Ugh. Like everybody who's involved in that machine that's got to make it happen every Sunday, it, right. nobody yeah. can handle it.
1: Mary Beth, did you did you volunteer or attend church pretty regularly when you were younger?
2: I did. Um, I was invited by a friend of mine in. I think it was sixth grade is when I started going, and went every Wednesday to the like middle school service. And then as I got into high school, I kind of volunteered a little bit too. Um, but then college is where I kind of. How would I describe it? That's where that's where the falling out happened, I should say. <laughs> Quit? <laughs> well, it's like I still tried oh, to go good. and volunteer, <laughs> but these people that I went to the same church, I was in the same group of people. Like, we had literally grown up together. For some reason in college when I would go on Sundays, like, everyone oh. would act like they didn't know me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's not like I've been going here for the past decade. It's fine. Just fuck you guys.
1: (laughs) Right. So it just felt like a club or something. Yeah. 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 Seriously. I, uh, I mean, I always, I always, uh, sang at church a lot and attended, uh, as much as I could, but I did when I was a worship leader at Mars Hill and then at Seacoast, I did feel like that what you were saying, Anthony. the same thing, like you kind of have to use people like you need their, you need their bodies and their skills and just them being there, and you know they're not going to get paid, but they're going to give their time, and they're doing it for the Lord. So you feel kind of good. But man, thank God the sound guy showed up, you know, <laughs> or yeah. you know stuff like that for me because it was always something like that. Like I had to, I just had to ask people, please, can you do this? Do it. I mean, you know, can you please be here for band practice, and can you show up early before church, you know, so we can set up because we were a mobile campus, and so we had to set up everything. And it was just, it did really feel like it it burns people out and honestly i think nobody totally realizes it in the moment when i'm saying this i'm looking back on it in the moment mm-hmm. i thought i'm doing god's work we're we're you know preaching the gospel and doing something good in our community and people wanna serve but i think it just gets brushed over that you're just kind of using people without totally realizing it
0: yeah man that's exactly what i'm getting at it's like it, cuz i don't think I I would venture to say the vast majority who bought into this system, this machine that is exhausting people and yeah. is sort of stealing our joy without us realizing it. Um, I don't think the people behind it who orchestrated it were necessarily trying to do something that was negative. I think they were probably trying to do something that was very positive, um, yeah. but without realizing it, yeah, you're, you're trying to convince people to play guitar on a Sunday instead of shovel their neighbor's driveway when the blizzard comes, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Well, what's really more important?
1: Right. So did you, you were talking about ego. I mean, did you think, did you see bigger and better things? Like we, did at, at that moment when the church started growing and you're, you know, paying for your life, for your family and all that stuff, you're hiring people, the church is growing. Did you think, oh man, we're going to be the biggest church in Springfield and maybe even bigger?
0: Yeah, actually for, for a bit there, you know one might say that we were probably within the top three of the largest I mean our city's only like 170 to 180 thousand people so it's not huge but where we are located in the metro areas is, is pretty dense and uh, yeah I mean we ended up buying a bar that was 15,000 square feet that we turned into you know our church and used it for a bunch of other stuff and and it was right in the heart of the entertainment district too so I mean we're right across from the largest strip club in New England <laughs> so oh wow wow so people knew people knew who we were, you know? Um, yeah. And even if they didn't know me personally, there's still a lot of people who just know who I am and know, know the story, you know, to some extent. Yeah. Um, not that did I'm you ever like, say, like, like, you know,
1: did you ever do billboard, like a billboard sign or whatever it said, like, show us your tithes across from, you know, like show us your tits <laughs> or anything, you know, like, did you, did y'all compete with the, uh, the strip club at all? since it was across the street.
2: That's brilliant. honestly, <laughs>
1: Show us your tithes.
0: Oh man, one of the funniest, <laughs> one of the funniest moments was uh, remember back when uh, they were revealing that Trump was, had, had cheated on his wife with whatever her name was. It was a stripper. Yeah. Uh, when she was doing her tour, she stopped by that strip club, and so there were signs. Oh no way! Was, was hilarious. How funny! <laughs> yeah, right next to our church, dude. So people are getting out and walking their kids next to these huge posters with their you know knockers hanging out. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so crazy okay so you uh you, your church is growing it's getting big what okay so something bad started happening obviously inside you i guess but i mean what what started going wrong because it sounds like everything was going right and you said people called you a fool for moving out you know what are you doing you're losing your mind you're gonna move out to Massachusetts. and now it seems like they're gonna would say that again if you quit you know, yeah. you grew this church and it's doing awesome. And now, is it the same thing again? What, what started happening to lead to the downfall?
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, I don't know how theological you want to get here, but basically three years All the way. Ago, <laughs> okay. So a few years ago, um, I was I was just committed for some reason in my head to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. I was just reading it every single day for like six months. I was memorizing it. And I was like, I really want to just preach through this so bad. And however long it takes, I just want to dig into it deep because I found it so compelling. And then I realized, well, if I just start here and he's talking about the kingdom, but nobody really understands what that kind of breakthrough means, I need to tell them the whole story. So then I was like, okay, well, I better summarize the entire Old Testament. So then I started reading things that were outside of the tribe of like eight to 9 and the Gospel Coalition and Desiring God and stuff. Um, You know, different people like N.T. Wright and, you know, like Tim Mack, the Bible Project and, you know, those kinds of Scott McKnight and and so forth. Um, Brilliant scholars, but have a completely different perspective than the tribes of which I was a part. And slowly but surely, they started convincing me that that uh, everybody who doesn't agree with John Piper isn't necessarily a heretic, you know? I was like, like, Oh my gosh, these people are really smart, but they totally disagree with who I thought were the smartest people on the planet, you know? And uh, they began, I began to see them as, as, like I said, their points of view, more compelling. And that caused me to, as I began preaching through the old Testament, confront those passages and those stories in a different way that kind of you know, it caused a lot of question, rubbed people some wrong way. Um, you know, the questions being like, "How serious is Anthony really taking the Bible?" Because we take it really serious, and it seems like he's turning some stuff into like myth or allegory or whatever. You know, and so they yeah. kind of got a little concerned. And then, and then when we got to the Sermon on the Mount, and did, started, did that start
1: creeping into your sermon? When you, when you say people started noticing that, was that in your sermon? What were they What were they noticing about you?
0: Yeah, they were noticing that my theology was changing, that my yeah my understanding of how to interpret the scriptures and the story of God and all of that was was shifting and yeah. uh, and it was stepping outside of the box of the tribes that everybody had either come to the church because of or knew that I was a part of and it was like right. where's Anthony going with this you know and it was difficult for me to navigate how to share that with people because you you can't just stand up on a sunday morning and shock 200 people 300 people you know with some radical different right. belief because that's just not it's not nice you know <laughs> it messes yeah. with people's heads and, and right yeah. and
1: you're the person they trust to give it to give them the hard truth you, you know and now you're you're they they're scared you're back and all because i'm assuming the same as mars hill you were pretty calvinist pretty yeah oh, right like it was yeah,
0: yeah very much preached it taught it yeah yeah and um, so everybody's like the the hard
1: gospel, and this is what the what it is. No, you know, probably no no women preachers. I remember when I was at Mars Hill, they didn't even like anything feminine with art. Like I, I was over the like the hallway outside the sanctuary putting art up, and I was told that the art was too feminine. And I was like, oh what? It just it, it, it's art and it looks good. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just take it down because these people, you know, the some ladies had donated their art, and I thought it it was it was good. It was good art and so I know what you're saying. So you it started infiltrating and you tried to probably drop a dime here or there and people were like, uh uh oh. Uh-oh. Is that
0: what that's, I- exact, that's exactly what happened. So I would drop little <laughs> hints of different things and even refer to different authors and different books. And as people started noticing, there was a lot more conversations with people that ended not on great terms, and then there was, you know, some mm-hmm. ruffling here and there of, of spreading things and whatnot, and whether whether true or not, just not the right context, you know, and so just created right. a lot of stress for me. Um, now, I, what I was, was
1: happening with you and your wife, though? Was she seeing this change? Was she scared?
0: Well, yeah. So, like, I was talking with her a ton about my difference of opinion, but like the the ripple effects. So, here's here's the weird, here's one of the weirdest things about being a pastor is every, we want everybody to think deeply and to question everything until they've come to the truth, right? We want that for everybody yeah. as a pastor, except pastors aren't allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like a pastor, once a pastor says, this is the box that I'm in, they have trapped yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. So to step out of that box freaks everybody out. Right. Um, and so you got to be really gentle with who you talk to and how you talk to them and what you talk about, and um, which really kind of stinks. And it creates a lot of stress because you want to just be as open as possible, but you also you got to navigate every relationship differently. So it created a ton of stress. I started drinking too much. I continued down the rabbit hole of thinking you know, about how to interpret things. I continued to preach this radical Jesus about really loving your enemy. And then when it came to other passages to interpret, such as women in leadership, that became a sticking point. I had to say to my leadership, like, I can't be a part of A29 because they make such a big deal out of it. Um, changed my view on predestination. I was like, so again, can't be a part of two because of that. And right. my, my view on women in leadership, I don't even know if it can be a part of the Baptist Convention anymore. And so, like, it all just started piling up and creating more stress, and more people were leaving. And then, and then, freaking COVID, man, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> trying to pastor during a pandemic is absolute hell.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that if you're already having changes and now you're having to do it through Zoom or so, you know what I mean, or, or like a virtually. And talk with people, but but so you had these so you had this this change of heart. you you know, you started studying and opening in your mind, which that's the thing that is funny because I do think as as hard as I've been on pastors, I do think it is a tough job for exactly what you said. it I, you would think that a pastor would be the one that is called to go out and learn and bring back information and study because, you know, we don't have time or we're working a regular job, whatever. i want to go on Sunday and really have that person really experiencing all there is to, and bring back what they, they are trying to find truth, right? Like, I don't think you were doing this. You're, you're not saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe women should be in leadership. You're not saying that to destroy anybody. you you were only thinking those, thinking about that and exploring it because maybe it's true, right? And so that's, that's what's so dangerous is, and I think, you know, there's so many people that have hidden lives and can't tell anybody, you know what I mean? Like, you know, whether it be their sexuality or their religion or not religion or, you know, whatever they're, they're going through. And I, that is one of the worst parts to me is that you have to be so hidden. So then, yeah, you, like you said, you, you, what do you do? You, you know, m- muted a little bit, you turn to alcohol or something like that. So you, you drinking kind of got pretty bad or what?
0: Yeah, it got to, it got to a place where, you know, I was hiding it. Um, It became a very clear comfort and escape for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it was, you know, it was consuming thoughts and I was, you know, using it at times when it was clearly inappropriate. Um, And that was quite often. And then, uh, yeah, I got to a point. Like what, what, what was inappropriate? uh, Just being around certain people at certain times and, like the overconsumption, even the time of the day, like there was always an excuse, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it goes great with bacon and eggs, beer, right?
1: <laughs> what What was your drink of choice? Was that Was it beer? Was that uh, hard liquor? What was
0: it? Well, see, it was like a slow progression because just like the way it was with people leaving the church and all the questions, like the, it was all it all kind of climaxed at this at the same rate, you know. So it was yeah. just like, oh, I used to be okay with a couple beers a week or one for a dinner here, and then it became like you know, six pack every couple of days. And then it became, you know, just more and more and more. And then, mm-hmm. and then it became like, Oh, it's okay to take shots, you know, every here And th-. And then it was like, Oh, then I can do it by myself. And then it was like, Oh, I could do it myself more. And then it was like, right. know. And so then I started hiding it and doing it even more. And, you know, and so yeah, it was clearly uh something that, that um I think s- stole my ability to be sober minded enough to do the job that, is required of somebody caring for people in the degree that I was called to, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's so, funny. I, yeah, al- al-
1: alcohol is so tough because of course, cocaine is bad or heroin's bad, but alcohol, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's legal. It's at the gas station right down the corner or the grocery store. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it's such a tough one because it does lessen things a little bit like pressure and anxieties. It can for a moment. You know what I mean? It can make you go, you know, oh, that, you know, that first beer, that second beer. Oh, there, oh, that shot, man, it burned a little bit and it's nice. But uh, so you were drinking, hiding it and changing, you know, you, you, theologically changing. And so with, obviously you're under a lot of stress and this probably put a lot of stress on in your your wife, your marriage and, and obviously with leadership, I guess, at your yeah. church
0: all of those realms, the thing, and that's the weird thing for a pastor too, is they're all inextricably connected. Like as much as, as anybody would like to compart, like as a pastor would like to compartmentalize their lives. And people I've heard pastors give this sort of advice plenty of times, like, um, you know, read, <laughs> read the Bible just for your own soul and read other times for preparing sermons. Like they say stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, I don't know how you separate. like for me, I don't know how I separate my job and my friendships and the people who are actually like kind of like my employees slash volunteers, like they're, that's my whole life, you know? So, so these, the things that are, my behaviors have have impact on not just like my employees and my vocation, but my (laughs) friends and then my wife's friends and my kids' friends. And so like my decisions, like the ripple effect is massive. So right. and that's not just with the drinking, that's also with my theology. My theology right. affects a ton of people, which is crazy.
1: Right. Were you uh kind of being a shitty person too? Like were you angry or mad or were you holding that together?
0: <laughs> um, I guess it would kind of depend on the relationship. I don't I don't think I'm nearly as angry now. I mean, it hasn't even been a whole year, but um I mean, for a good season, there, there, there was a couple of conversations that happened behind my back that I figured out spread to, you know, spread to a degree that I th- I think was probably unnecessary and way too fast and maybe not as, as thoughtful as it could have been. Yeah. But, but, um, I don't blame those people. You know, I, I really think that their intentions were good for me and for my family and for the church. Um, and so initially actually like, part of the story is that initially I went on sabbatical. I was going to go on sabbatical for six months, primarily for just getting healthy and, you know, giving up drinking for a bit and then come back. Um, But after a month of my sabbatical and talking with my wife and seeing a counselor, I was like, if I go back and it's the same kind of church, not just the same theology, but the same like vision and mission and how we accomplish it, the whole Sunday thing being the main thing. Like if that's what I'm going back to all of that, then I don't want to go back anyways. So why bother? And so I sat down with the leaders and I was like, well, I don't want to be the one who divides the church. So either we have to get everybody on board with all of this new way of thinking and acting, or I leave and don't cause a big fuss about it. And it was sort of like, okay, well, I guess I'll go. So I just backed off. Gosh,
1: it's so, what an interesting job where like you go, you know what? I don't know about if we're predestined in eternity or uh, maybe women could preach or I don't know if maybe hell isn't, you know, eternal damn, you know, like the things you're talking about are just like, wait, I just want to think through these. That seems like normal thoughts, but that cost you your career and yeah. relationships. I mean, you, you said, you know, like the authority of scripture. Let me think about that. <laughs>
0: and, yeah. then that, and then everything falls apart. I know, dude. Imagine asking. Imagine if Bezos came out tomorrow and he was like, "You know what I think about the Bible." Everybody'd be like, "So what?" Nobody's firing Bezos because he came up with a right. different theological perspective. You know,
1: right? Right. And, and uh, yeah, there's so much is tied. That's that's what's so tough about churches. So much is tied up into the pastor because he's the leader that you have to follow. So if he has questions, if you have questions, Anthony, that means maybe I should. Uh oh, I don't want questions. Get him out of here. You know what I mean? Because yeah. questions are dangerous.
0: Totally. That's, I mean, that's what, I, like right at that time, I was also reading some ends. I know you guys are familiar with him. So oh, like, yeah. like the sin of certainty, man, that hit mm-hmm. me like a ton of bricks. Cause that's the way it, it, I felt like that being a part of a nine. I mean, and like two years ago, a nine came out with a paper, like, man, I don't even remember who wrote it, but man, it was like 10 pages long on why women aren't allowed to preach. I was like, man, I could have swore. They said that this was a secondary issue. That's a long right. paper for a second. Yeah. So. I know. <laughs>
1: and, and that and who's, who's that paper for? You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it's to like, it's for the club. It's for the tribe, right? Like the re you know, mm-hmm. yeah, look, this is who we are. And this is, so we're going to hype you up again, hype you folks up again, because this is what we believe. That's the same way me growing up. It was just like, it was these rules that made your tribe. It, stick together or something. And then when you start questioning stuff, it just, it does fall apart because, because you can make some really good, uh, points, uh, against these things. Like you can say, wait a minute, just asking the question. It's the simplest question in the world. God loves me, but he will send me to eternal damnation. He will send me to a place with fire and worms and all the stuff I was told. It's dark, but it's also Fire everywhere. I, I never understood that part of hell. How it's always <laughs> on fire. It's, you know, it's the most fire ever, but also very dark, and you are in a cave alone and all that stuff. But like, if you just ask the question, does God do that? Like, because I, I, one, that was one of the ones that got me. Because I, w- after I had kids, I was like, I don't. If my kid was the worst person that ever lived, Hitler or Jeffrey Epstein or something, I still would. I, I don't know if I could wish them. Eternity in torment. I just, I, I don't know how I could see that. I love them so much. I'm not for you know, uh, going past what the bad stuff they did, but just, uh, and that's just one question. Once you start going into predestination and women in ministry, and and then yeah, there's not a single uh, word that got mistaken in the King James version or whatever. Once you get there, Mm -hmm. it feels like you're just. You have to nitpick to keep your faith in something. You just have to just say you believe that certainty. You have to be certain, or else you won't be, and that's scary. And that's what I think. That's kind of Anthony. What you you look like to people? You're scary. Wait a minute. He and they probably thought you lost your faith or something. Yeah. You know, they <laughs> you're you're a liberal now, <laughs>
0: dude. That's funny because that's what I was just gonna say. Is um, the 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 common reaction that? Well, first of all, that's actually how it started. So. Back to the story about preaching through the Old Testament, looking at it differently. Most all of that stemmed from taking Jesus very seriously in the Sermon on the Mount. So like if you go, okay, you got this guy who looks out and he says, love your enemy as yourself and pray for those who persecute you. And not only does he teach it, but he does it, right? And then he gives us his spirit to do it. And then when, when people get to him, he's like, (laughs) Like to your point, he casts him into fire where he has to be in control of like, he has to be in control of the fire and he has to miraculously keep somebody alive forever and ever. Like the intention behind that is so evil. It's satanic. And so I'm wrestling with like, how do you, how do you go with like, go into the, into the land and kill all the women and children and even all the animals. And Jesus is like, no, no, love your enemy as yourself. And I'm like, wait a second, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like, right. how, come, how come we're all okay with what appears to be a very schizophrenic God? Or if anything, we're all actually practical polytheists, the way that we explain away the Old Testament. So anyways, um, as I started thinking about those things, the, the practicality of it all, um, within our church, you know, with women in ministry and so forth, also started playing out. So, um,
1: yeah, the God I believed in for so long—you're right—is kind of a schizophrenic, really mean and cruel and hard God. And then laced in there sometimes was this w- weird hippie Jesus. So they tried to make him tough too. You know what I mean? Like, like he would say stuff that sounded, you know, more like socialism than than you know a lot of the stuff that I, you're taught in church and. uh and and then, so I was always just scared. Even Jesus to me was taught that way. But Mary Beth, what was, was God that, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, evangelical hard God when you were growing up?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Um, I know that whenever I was younger, before I actually started going to church, I, this was the clearest image I had in my head. And for some reason it was oddly specific, but it was, I felt like anytime I did something wrong, like I was being held on a string over like a boiling pot of water and anytime i did something wrong i would be dropped and like almost hit the boiling water and then i'd be yanked back up that's how i saw god even like as a kid it's weird that that was my specific image but um as i got as i went through church more it wasn't quite as angry or as scary yeah but at the same time still very he was he was kind of like you said like kind of like a hard god but my particular church wasn't specifically fire and brimstone which is surprising considering I live in Tennessee but <laughs> um yeah. yeah it was it was similar but not quite
1: yeah every sermon is so funny like i mean i was just indoctrinated when i was a kid every sermon was hell fire and brimstone and it was my granddad preaching it mm-hmm. to me and oh, he's yeah. such a, I mean, outside of the pulpit, he was the sweetest, nicest man, soft-spoken, but he would get in the pulpit and his face would look like, it looked like hell. It was so red. And he was just t- talking about everybody outside that church was, was in real danger. And mm-hmm. it was just so tough. And I mean, I think the evangelical world got a little bit softer and, you know, wanted to show a little bit more loving God, but still the the teachings, when we're going back to it, like the. People still hold on really strongly to, especially like with Calvinism or whatever, you know, like what, what is pre, the predestination or that, like you said, a 10 page paper about women in ministry. And there isn't any leeway to think, you know, differently, even just, even just to explore it, even just to spend some time exploring that. I think that's mm-hmm. what's tough. Well, so, uh, they, go us- ahead, Anthony.
0: they usually say something like, oh, the only reason you're going down that rabbit hole or thinking that way is because of the culture You're not taking the Bible seriously. You're letting culture influence you, you know. And the funny thing is, is like out of all the friends that I've been talking to through this whole thing, and they're like, Oh, I think you're just getting liberal or something. I'm like, that might be the box that you want to put me in or label me, whatever. I I'm really not interested in being a box anymore at all because I'm pretty confident at this point that I'm ten years from now, I'm probably gonna have a different view on all these things anyways. So (laughs) I mean the chances of me having the same exact view ten years from now is pretty crazy. So um, but it's actually uh, these changes of, of opinion and theology and interpretation of scripture isn't coming because I'm taking uh, or I'm letting the culture influence me or taking the scriptures or Jesus less seriously. I'd actually argue, and I've told this to many of my close friends, that the reason that I think differently about hell and predestination and women in ministry is because I take Jesus more seriously. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus really is God in the flesh. Man, we got a lot of questions, or at least I have a lot of questions about why it is that we believe those things about hell and predestination and women in ministry. I mean, if he really is, it seems yeah. like a yeah. lot of our take on those things is quite wrong.
2: Well, and I feel like a, the most common thread in my experience in all of Christianity, really doesn't matter the denomination, is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Contradiction that seems to be the biggest thing for me. So, I um growing up in church, the I went to kind of a it was labeled as non-denomination, but I would probably relate it closely to uh maybe Baptist, but maybe not like as extreme, I guess. But yeah. um you know, they did talk a lot about how it was okay to have doubts. It was okay to question God. But In practice, obviously, it was kind of the same reaction, like it's too scary, and it somehow threatens the idea of God, even though in addition to that, you're kind of taught that obviously God is almighty, he's all-seeing, you know, nothing can scare God, but yet my questions that you at one point encouraged me to ask are somehow threatening, in a way it that that was the the thing that i struggled to reconcile the most is the the contradiction in all of it
0: right yeah i mean that's even contradictory behavior right like i see this all the time with christians they get get so upset that their friends and family who aren't christians they want them to be open minded and to listen and to like let them talk to them more and explain their belief to them because if they could just be a little more open minded and considerate, meanwhile most Christians I know are pretty dang close minded <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: right For sure and it's so it's so hard not to be because it i mean Anthony you're a living proof of it once you start questioning it does start to fall apart a little bit, but then you see the stuff that falls apart it feels so man made and I, I I mean I know it's not all but it feels that way it feels like it's these rules and uh you know this th- like you said earlier the tribe or this club that you're in and if as long as you follow the rules you're in and it's going to be fine you know but you, something starts happening like i mean so many people like i do these uh true man calls uh, honest night calls where i talk to men and men so often feel pushed out of the church because they just wanted a little more they felt like the sermon was repetitive or it was a lot of the same stuff, or it was always about how broken they were, or sad they were, or they. And they're like, well, "Couldn't we explore something like really, like what if what if we really went deep on the, this idea of hell?" Like, I mean, we're we're in twenty twenty one, and you know, a lot of people still fully believe that you know you're going to get yours when you die, and I mean that just that is so cruel. Like, it it almost seems like sometimes they want it to happen. Now, You know, I. I'm not. I. I I'm not going to get you in this life, but in the next life, God's going to get you. You know, and that just mm-hmm. seems it's so cruel, and it starts falling apart. And then that the problem is you. And Anthony, maybe you can answer this because it seems like this is exactly where you are. You can't really have one foot in and one foot out, right?
0: That's the. That's what I was kind of getting at earlier. Is it's that's uh, that's the most difficult thing about being a pastor is you have to navigate so many different relationships, and they're so tied to you personally in different ways. So I have to navigate not just my leadership team, but each leader I have to navigate then like volunteers or leaders of volunteer groups. I have to navigate what I say on Sundays. I have to navigate my own gospel community or small group. I have to navigate what I say online. I I mean, everything has to be filtered through. It's just extremely stressful trying to make sure that you're doing your best to love that person by inviting them into conversation but not freaking them out to the point where it's unhelpful you know because it can be very startling for people you know to hear something different especially from like you said earlier a person that they look up to that they think has all the answers now all of a sudden is questioning it, it really freaks people out so yeah. that one foot in one foot out you know I feel really bad looking back because there are some people who are like why don't you just tell us why don't you just tell us like just say it everybody would be fine with it and I'm like that. First of all, that's probably not true. <laughs> There's right. a lot of people who are not okay with it. Um, but it's it's just not that simple. And maybe I should have. I, but in my honest, like, like to the depths of my heart, I thought I was trying to do the best that I could. And I know that's yeah. never going to be good enough. Everybody's going to say, you should have done this, you should have done that. But I was really honestly thinking about each person in relationship and trying to do my best to navigate it well. And it just got to a point where it's just impossible I mean, it, trying to steer a, a ship with a hundred people on it. You know, it's
1: right. So you at one month of sabbatical and you're like, I'm done. And so does that mean when you say you're done, you don't, you don't still attend the church anymore. Do you, you can't like, since you were the lead pastor, you don't get to go just sit
0: in the pew and hang out with friends and enjoy it. Right. Or, or do you? Dude, this is the crappiest thing about the whole thing is—is is that for me, anyways, on a personal level, and I don't hold it against anybody because I totally get the dynamics of relationships, and I really want the church to succeed, so I don't want to be a, a hindrance to that, you know, to the growth in any way, shape, or form. So I understand why it is that we have to behave the way, the way that we're behaving now, which is sort of my absence from all of that. Um, but it's really quite sad because if if we really are Christians. And we really do believe that these things, uh, like, dude, we're gonna be with each other for all of eternity, and we can't really get past these things right now. I mean, that's pretty lame, right? (laughs) You know. So, like, if if we can't figure out how we can still be in the same space together, that's (laughs) that that sucks, dude. So, and again, back to the like the relationships being connected um you know many of my friends my best friends their wives are best friends with my wife their kids are best friends with my kids like we've been in the hospital to see so many kids be born and watch them be raised over the last 10 years it's really quite crazy that now like nobody's around like it all just disappeared and i hate saying it but like last week me and my wife were talking so we had this big going away party this last weekend she's like what do you think what do you think's gonna happen i'm like i don't know but the proof's in the pudding right i mean If only 10 people show up and the church at one point was like 350, we'll know that like why people were going to church. Right. (laughs) All right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so you're officially out and you won't be returning?
0: No, we, so when I resigned, um, we spent some time just, uh, they gave me a a decent, um, severance, very helpful, um, gave us some time to, you know, think through what it is that we want to do and came to the decision that we want to move. So. Uh, we sold a bunch of stuff and uh, put the house on the market. It's actually under contract right now, so we're moving to Tennessee where my brother is. Um, when I moved to Mass, he moved to Tennessee. Uh, my parents have some land down there that they're going to build on too. So we're just going to take our family and be next to family. And, uh, and no more, I,
1: uh, no more preaching, or are you just, or at least not in Acts twenty nine. What are you? Doing? I
0: don't know, man. Because here's the weird thing, right? Is um, <laughs> it's again back to one of those cliché things like even though I've changed my opinion on a lot of these theological issues if you were to ask me if I if I believe in Jesus of Nazareth who lived, died, rose from the dead and will come again to make all things new that his spirit is in me and I am absolutely forgiven he's empowered me like all those key things dude I am so on board um and I love the scriptures I love teaching the scriptures I love watching people want to love and follow Jesus um there's nothing else I'd rather do, but I will never do it the way that <laughs> that we started. No, <laughs> yeah. not a chance, dude. That that model is just—I don't know how these guys are going to make it, man. And we're watching them all fall, myself kind of included in that. But it's just so utterly exhausting; it, it can't last. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. I would say don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I think
1: uh you know you had a good run, and it lasted for a while and now it's, it's over. but i mean i I understand that, and I know people want to, but i just I think you're right there there is an overhaul coming with the system, and I don't think people realize it yet. I think there are i mean even with this podcast, like I think part of this podcast and what is what has changed from when it was when we started it was like, oh, we're just thinking differently about God a little bit, and now it's like I'm seeing so many more people deconstructing and bad christian the podcast was a little bit early i think the big amount of people deconstructing and you know leaving the church because of the issues they have with it is there's a real storm coming and i think that people don't see it clearly yet because they're they're just used to the comfortable you know it's like being church comfortable i don't want to ruffle any feathers you know my kids go there we like you know, we got a few friends. It's our community. It's easy. I can tide there. And it, it, it just, but there's uh, there's something coming, I think. And and I, I'm using the word storm because I think people don't see it yet. They just, are, there's some clouds forming and you're like, yeah, maybe it'll rain. Maybe it won't. And I think it's something really tough is going to come. And I think it's dangerous to be a pastor. I don't think it's good in so many ways. And I think people take that for granted. And we're seeing more and more, like, I mean, tons of anxiety and mental health and hidden you know, you were hiding drinking to handle your job and your life and your God. You know what I mean? Like you you were doing that stuff, self-medicating in a way to handle what you were questioning about God and church and all of that stuff. And and so it's, it requires a bit of hiddenness because you can't fully tell people what you're thinking. I've talked to so many pastors and said, man, I can't tell the church what I've been thinking. You know, and I'm like, what? That's so crazy. Like, I mean, you can't tell it that's so bad for you. Yeah. I mean, that's just so, that's so, that's bad for anybody. Anybody that can't tell people what they're actually thinking, that's horrific for your mental health. Yeah. It's terrible. It's awful and it puts you in such a bad position because if you don't say it, in some ways, you're lying to yourself and to others because you're not living a, it, truthfully. You know what I mean? And we're, and we're talking about, that's what's so, once again, so bizarre about this because you're talking about maybe some good things like, wait a minute, let's, yeah, let's let women preach let's let women teach i mean what are we we talking about i saw uh y'all probably saw it that meme that uh christians will listen to uh tomato preach the gospel you know (laughs) instead but they won't let a woman preach yeah the uh you know the uh, tomato and a cucumber oh yeah they they can (laughs) certainly preach the gospel but a woman no way no and you're seeing more and more uh like beth moore taking some stances and and pushing back the system is i think it's really dangerous to be a part of the system right now and I think just like, you know, everything is kind of, everything is kind of becoming decentralized. I think that centralization, you know, centralized leadership and authority where you can't move around a little bit, it's, it's just really dangerous. And if, if people, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can see people, more and more people are going to be moving away from it. And that's one of the big things uh, that we try to talk about here on this podcast is just, or what I want us to start talking about more is what is next? Like right now, what, what do you do? Like where, What? how will you find community? Will you, when you move to Tennessee, do you think your family, well, we got to find a church or do you think you'll pause on that for a while?
0: Yeah, that's kind of tricky for us because, uh, my brother, he's been off and on with church communities, uh, since he's been down there. Um, so we're probably going to live in his house for a bit. And I don't know if that means we're going to go to the same church that he's been going to, which is not necessarily our style. And I know we do not believe on some of the same things. They're very big on where I once was and I'm no longer there. So I don't know if that would even be a good fit for us. And then we'll only be in his house for like a month, maybe two, before we find our own place. And so, I mean, we'll probably find a church community. um, But I hate to say it, but I'm probably going to be quite nitpicky about the way the leadership is structured more so than anything. Um yeah. Just cuz I think about the sort of environment that I'm I'm bringing my kids into and and I also think about those leaders and having been there I want to make sure that they're in a healthy place where this thing isn't destroying their lives, you know.
1: And they're going to immediately look at you like, "Uh-oh, what happened? He was a pastor." <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh, why is he, why is he, why are you here? What do you not, uh, why aren't you preaching anymore? Oh, he must have done something bad. Mm-hmm. They're going to think you, you know, you did something really bad. Here's the funny and, thing.
0: It, like in all honesty, when it comes to like building community and stuff, I mean, I hope to get that at a church, but I, I'm i pretty sure at this point in my life and because of the last year and especially even because of COVID surprisingly, um, but also me stepping away from the church community, most of my friends aren't Christians anymore. Like my best friends are probably my neighbors right now. We spend most of our time with them. So I imagine, and my hope is, and my wife's hope too, is when we moved to Tennessee that we would find like friends who are actually right next to us. Like having your neighbors, some of your best friends is so cool, man. You just like holler out the back. Hey, what are you doing today? Nothing sweet. And then you just hang out. No phone calls, (laughs) nothing. You know? Right. Awesome.
1: (laughs) So that's what I've been thinking about. Yeah. And that's the actual community you live in. When people talk about community, it's not this, you know, oh, let's, we all, we all believe the same thing and we'll meet in this building. I mean, there can be community there, obviously, but your actual neighbors, like I've, we just moved to Champaign, Illinois, you know, well, it's not, not even a year ago. And, uh, it's just been so neat meeting neighbors and they, and we talk a little bit and you know, like, uh, my neighbor, Bill, he's an older guy. He came over and was telling me how, cause I have a big dead spot in my backyard of grass and he was just telling me about how I could till it and maybe I could borrow his tiller. And all of a sudden I was like, man, this is really crazy. We're, we're not going to hang out all the time, but we have a level of trust and we're going to get to know each other a little bit. And and this will be real community and and we might be there for each other at some point. And it's not the same, you know, we don't have to sit in a small group and read scripture together and only talk about God a little, you know, uh, uh, every time we hang out, we can talk about lawn maintenance and like real stuff. That's That's what I always thought was so diminished with Jesus is like, man, he probably knew a lot about carpentry like maybe sometimes he didn't want to talk about his dad maybe he just want to talk about you know you know building a you know building a, an addition onto the back of the house or something you know i mean like i mean maybe it's okay to be human and that's what you know i think we miss that like wait a minute we're humans let's just Dude. let people talk cuz it can be fun it can be interesting it can be community
0: yeah man that's funny cuz like i say i've said this to some of my friends plenty of times especially the ones who or we talk about it at least all the time especially the ones who weren't really raised in the church is that very thing it's like why why do all of our lives as christians seem like they have to revolve around like you're not allowed to just have a bonfire you have to bring a guitar and sing some songs and you know you can't just you can't just do things like normal people do you know you got to do christian versions of those things and (laughs) like it's really quite odd so like now that i'm hanging out with my neighbors all the time it's weird you know like Okay, we're, you know, in the Christian realm, especially when you're in the church, before and after every meeting, you have to say a prayer, right? Otherwise, right. like, otherwise the meeting doesn't count or something. Yeah, you know? didn't count. Like, <laughs> there's like something magical about praying before and after, you know. And like, right. now while I'm hanging out with all my with some of my neighbors, and like nobody's stopping to pray. It's just like, I don't know. It's it's, it's just kind of weird to to step outside of that thing again, you know.
1: I know and so much weight is put on that prayer as opposed to like hanging out with your neighbors like you said like you might end up in a real conversation where the, one of them's parents is sick or and you might have a real conversation and be there for them in a way mm-hmm. without without that and it's it is God though it it is you know it it is being being more like Jesus like just sitting there listening and not pushing a religion or what. hey let's stop and pray like when people say hey we got to stop and pray right now I don't trust that anymore. I'm like, wait, what are you doing? You're trying to take away from the moment. Let the person talk. Like, let 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 them be human and just experience that for a little bit before we get we get too far away to the spiritual thing. Where hold on, I, I'm not opposed to prayer at, at all, but it, it feels like a, a cop out from the bad thing of sitting there, and, mm-hmm. or the tough the tougher thing is sit there and listen to somebody's shit that they're going through, or the, just that they're having a good day. Yeah, but it, we, either one. We almost don't give people the time anymore, and and so that's why the system to me a lot of uh, the church and even going back to why I think it's is failing to some extent is that it, it avoids the real community, the real time, the real uh, you know effort it takes to sit and listen to somebody and find out about them and learn about them and all that stuff. I think that's 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 going to be tough. I don't know what is going to happen though because I don't know where all these deconstructing Christians are going to go because I believe. Like you said, I think people are going to still believe in Jesus, but they're going to want something more. Like, wait a minute, my church has to be more than this, or I'm not going, I'm not paying tithes to this. I mean, you know, like you said, you're going to look at the leadership and what they do and how they run. I mean, I think everybody's going to do that. Like you're just going to expect more or just not going to go. It's way nicer to sleep in on Sunday and be with your family than to give your time, money, resources, uh, thoughts, prayers, all that stuff to something that you can't totally, it's not transparent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, like, is it really even worth it? I mean, so like, like to the point that you raised it, you know, a couple of paragraphs and in you're in your talking there, um, <laughs> 30 seconds or so, we, we, uh, we attempted to do like a big block party, you know, we did it a few times where, you know, we get bounce houses out and like, you know, there's a ban and there's a bunch of food like that whole ordeal, right? We're shut down one of the streets, yeah. like big thing, you know, and all of our volunteers have our church name on it. And, you know, people are supposed to invite people to to the church and like, and that's what people are concerned about, right? People don't want to serve unless we're really inviting them in. Cause if there's no ROI on that, you know, block party, whatever, then like, there's no more butts in the seats. Then why are we doing this? Why are we paying for this? You know? And so um, anyways, either way there, it was successful in the sense of uh, the way that the world would view an event, you know, the amount of people who showed up and, you know, the hustle, hustle, whatever. So in that sense there, you know, it was worth it. But the following couple of years, like I started seeing things different. And I was like, I don't want to be about this kind of stuff. Like, what if we take all of those dollars and we disperse it amongst all of our small groups and we let them all have their own little block parties at their own house and they don't have to say anything about our church. They just get to invite people over, use our yard games. We'll pay for the food and they just invite their neighbors over. And our leadership team yeah. was like, this sounds sweet. Let's do that. And so we get all of our small group leaders together and all of them were like, nope, we can't do it. We don't want to do it. We can't, you know, and there's like all these, we're like, we're going to pay for it. Like all you got to do is use our money and our yard games to invite your neighbors over. And they right. would rather invite them into our building at a block party than actually open up their doors, you know?
1: Right. It's tough. And that's how you've been trained. I mean, it yeah. really is. I, 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 I do wonder. I mean, that's what I'm going to be exploring more and more. Like, I mean, I haven't been to church in probably two years, and I don't know when I'll go back. I, it would it it will take something really eye opening for me to want to trust my fan, take my family, and trust what's happening mm-hmm. anymore. Like, I've just been burned way too much. Like, way too much. I mean, I really do have a. I'm. I for me personally, I'm glad you're not a pastor anymore because I have a strong aversion to pastors now. I don't. I. <laughs> I just don't trust <laughs> pastors the way I used to. I used to take it at face value and now pastors have burnt me very badly and uh and made me oftentimes like this podcast and me look like a an enemy mm-hmm. and just for asking questions. And uh, I mean, of course I'm a jerk or you know, I've said things that I shouldn't have or been rude or short or all those things. I got a million fucking problems. More, I have more problems than most pastors for sure. But I try to be a little bit more of an open book and I just feel like pastors can't be. And that and part of that is the church, you know, the the uh, people attending church don't want pastors to be that open and they just can't be. You have to follow the rules or else you're out. So I, I I'm not sure what is coming next, but it's there's gonna be a huge change, I believe, in the next ten or definitely twenty years where you're gonna see people flocking away from the church and I don't know where they're headed. Yeah. And so I don't know what that will be. I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but i guess we'll see so yeah. what do you you got to get a real job now anthony or what
0: <laughs> a real job <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> you gotta actually fucking work god
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i gotta say i never picked up golf so um but i'm also <laughs> not, that, not that old yet either yeah. but um no actually um so prior to prior to ministry i was uh i was in the restaurant industry so i went to culinary school in uh, los angeles and pasadena and uh, worked in and out of catering and restaurants and stuff. So when I first moved to Mass, that was kind of my side gig. So I yeah. started doing that for a little bit up here. But now that we're moving to Tennessee, I'm not quite sure if I want to put in the effort for a food business or something else. But I know I don't want to work for the man. So I'll figure something out.
1: Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I heard that. Well, Anthony, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for being uh, pretty open and honest. I appreciate that. You, now that. Now that you're not a pastor, man,
0: you're a hell of a guy. Yeah, it's really weird, man. <laughs> Earlier you said something and it made me think about like the, the moment I finished my resignation, all I did was write something out very short and just read it. I wanted to just like step back and be like, if anybody wants to talk about hell now, I'll be downstairs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they would have been pretty mad at you if you'd have done that. Yeah. Uh, Thanks All sure. right man well yeah we we uh wish the best for you dude. <laughs> you Absolutely. Take care. All right, <laughs> see you Anthony. All right. Well, Mary Beth, what do you think is going to happen? You think I think there's going to be a mass exodus from church, but not religion. I think religion is as strong as it's ever been, but it would just be it might be smaller groups with a strong belief core that you you join and it'll be a little bit more uh you know, just independent, decentralized. I don't, I'm, I'm thinking church in the old sense. Cause I, I mean, I, I I remember people always saying like, uh, Europe, they don't believe in God as much anymore. And the church is dying there. And, and I think that's here now. I think it's just more and more people are going to be unaffiliated. Yeah. You don't attend church regularly.
2: No. Um, I actually went for the first time, not this past Sunday, but the one before first time in, in years. Um, But I just went with somebody, but, um, see, I don't know. I think. Do you like it? Well, it was my first time ever in a like liturgical, is that the right word? Liturgical church? Yeah. I had never been to a church like that before. So it was like a totally new experience. It was really cool. Um, cause I'm used to the like super contemporary, like, uh, probably what you're also used to um at least recently so yeah but um see i from my perspective at least the people that i currently surround myself with it does i do agree that like things are definitely changing in a big way um yeah. and i think that more and more people at least people i would say in either my generation or younger maybe are kind of seeing those like plot holes in things and drawing more attention to it. Um, and maybe I haven't yeah. seen the side of it where they take that and kind of create their own, obviously not their own religion, but their own like practice with it. But I do think that that yeah could definitely happen. um, I don't know though. I think two things are extra polarized right now, anyways in every in every area, right? And I think religion is definitely one of them yeah. because it is so closely tied with politics here. So it'll be right. it'll be interesting. I think things are changing in a good way, um, but I don't really know how that's going to manifest yet.
1: I think it'll be that I, I just see more and more people going. Wait a minute. I am exhausted. I am full of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have depression. I, I unhappy with my life or my job. And I can just see people going, wait a minute. I have to be more mindful because I only have this one life Mm -hmm. and it, you know, it it seems so cliche, but it's the same thing as the being on the plane. And you know, you put the oxygen mask on you first. I think people are going to start going, wait a minute. I have to really think things through because I can't live like this. I just can't. I I don't want to live this, uh, Un this unhappy, right, uh, and be this unhappy, and I'm wondering, and it, I think, the idea of God and uh, at its core, to me, is trying to forgive and trying to explore this creation, Mm -hmm. what the the whole universe, you know, trying to as best you can, and that ends up being exploring relationships, uh, figuring out, you know, what you believe about certain things, and Mm -hmm. you know what how you want to treat people how you want to be treated, all of those things. And I, I think the church has just condensed the message so much that I just, I can't go there anymore. I just, yeah. I just don't like that.
2: I don't feel comfortable I just want more. in church anymore. Um, I will say I felt the most comfortable this past, like at the church that I just recently attended. Um, And it is kind of ironic because the reason why me and my partner wanted to go to this church was because they had a big rainbow flag out in the front yard. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Okay. And so we gave it a shot and it was, it was, I I enjoyed it. Um, But I think, how do I want to explain it? I mean, I definitely resonate with what you just said. I feel that way to a T like I have been, I wouldn't consider this the lowest point of my life, but I am I kind of just like sat myself down and I just like realized I am so miserable right now with the way my life is like, and it's things that I feel like I can change. They're difficult to change. Like in my career right now, um, in my, even in my physical location, I'm just, there are a lot of good things like, um, you know, I, I do have a new partner and things like that, but I'm just ready. Like I am realizing that, I can change these things. A lot it's very easy to feel stuck in things whether it, it is a job or especially religion right. um especially whenever there are major consequences for even just talking about things that are outside of the norm um it is it can feel very dangerous and unsafe um and I think that especially risk averse people like us we're like well we better not like this is the safe route and therefore, the best route. But I'm kind of realizing to myself, like, I can't, if if I really want to live my happiest and most authentic life, I can't play it safe all the time. I just can't. And so, yeah. and for me, that manifested in typing up a two-week notice on my computer and almost printing it. <laughs> but I think <laughs> it, it manifests, obviously, in in different ways for everybody. And that could be leaving the church. That could be just being more outspoken about things you're questioning. It could be moving to Seattle. It could be anything, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's what, even what you're hitting on here. It's really true for me. It just can't be certain about stuff as much. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was so certain when I was young that I was supposed to go to college, get a good job, get married, have kids, provide, and, you know, get the house, get all this stuff. And, As I I saw my, but my I saw my mom and dad divorce. I saw that Mm -hmm. they worked and had a little bit of money. And we were never rich or anything, but we're fine, right? uh, Lower middle class or whatever. And that didn't even make them happy. Nothing. it, It just it was all a big lie. And this idea of being certain about so certain about God or what you're supposed to do in your life. It just you know you the the only thing that you really are certain is that you don't know. And there might be something off. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that, like, you know, you're certain that you aren't happy. And so you got to explore that. Yeah. You know, like when you say I mean, you might be at a, you're at a really low point. I, I know exactly what you're, so many, everybody knows exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it, the worst part about it is you can't pinpoint exactly what it is. There's little, there's all these little things in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I got to get, I got to ring, you know, wrangle some of that stuff in because yeah. it, it actually is killing you.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? It's it's sure. always
1: there. It's when you wake up and when you go to sleep, it, those little things pop in your head, and you're like, "Oh man, I'm I'm just I'm really unhappy. I I wish today was different, or I wish I could do more. Or why couldn't I do more? I can. I'm I can do yeah. more. Why am I not? Why am I stuck? I know how not to be stuck. Why am mm-hmm. I?
2: Yeah.
1: And it's 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 really. But you're right. It, it's easier said than done. Right. For sure. So.
2: Yeah. For sure.
1: All right, I guess we'll get out of, get out of here. I did have I did have one last uh what um question for Ooh, you though okay. that I didn't get to ask. What is the drunkest you've ever been? Oh,
2: dear god. Okay, look. I already know. Do you know immediately. I already know. It is easily the most embarrassing moment of my entire life and it involves members of the BC club. <laughs> And oh, no. it literally pains me to talk about, but for you, I will do it. I I seriously like. Yes, just me. Yeah. So <laughs> No one else is listening, right? I literally no like get tears in my eyes sometimes because I'm just mortified, mortified. <laughs> so I don't, I don't drink very often or if I do, it's just casually. I don't like go hard often. Um, yeah. Ironically, the times I've been the most drunk have been with uh, BC Club members. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) in this case, it was August of 2020. um, And me and Tierney, Curtis, and Clay Crenshaw, and Matt, John, Cochet, there were just a handful of us. We safely traveled to Memphis to Tierney's apartment to just have a little meetup. We hadn't seen anybody in months and we were losing our minds. And Curtis was about to move to, um, Washington. So from Amarillo, which still isn't close to Tennessee, but you know, he was going even further. So we were like, okay, we got to get everybody together. So we come right. together. I, Curtis got there really late at night. Cause obviously he had a super long drive. I started drinking, and for me, it's very hard for me to get drunk. It takes me forever. So, and I don't like to drink liquor, but I was like, look, I got to get it done. It's got to happen. If I'm going to get to where I need to be, I need to make it happen. (laughs) So, of course, I'm like throwing them back, throwing back liquor that I don't usually drink. And, (laughs) oh, my God. And so, by the time Curtis does get there... I'm feeling it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that hit me pretty quick. But of course, I keep drinking. And, um, All right, you got to. Yes. Right. Long story short, there were other things that, that took place, but long story short, I, it really, really did hit <laughs> me. Like, there was a point that I was like, oh no. Like, I don't even, I actually don't think I was coherent enough to think, oh no. It was just, I was just there. So I go, and I'm I'm really dizzy. I go in Tierney's bed. Oh, God, this is the worst part. I just want to die already. I want to crawl in a hole. I go to Tierney's bed. I'm laying on my stomach. I cannot move. And then all of a sudden, it happens. I have to throw up. Oh, no. And I am too drunk to physically move my body. So... Of course, remember I'm in Tierney's bed and it's right. happening and Tierney is sitting there and she's literally saying, Oh, hamburgers. <laughs> that was her exclamation. <laughs> oh, hamburgers. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. And I also remember quite literally wanting to crawl in a hole and die right then. Um, all of this, whatever. <laughs> she eventually gets me out of the bed she tells me to take my clothes off because I'm it's disgusting and I'm yeah. so drunk and I stand there and I've taken all my clothes off and she tells me the next day, <laughs> she was like, yeah, after you did that, you stood there and you were like, okay, now what? <laughs> <laughs> and so she made me go take a shower <laughs> and I put clothes on and I passed out immediately i was like i need to be done and of course everybody was still in the living room having a great time and i kept saying right does Curtis know i'm back here does john know i'm back here do they know that i'm back here and she's like no no one knows you're back here if you would just shut up and chill out <laughs> and um so um the next day we ordered um target groceries and that included a new set of sheets and pillows and to oh, this wow. day were you hung over I don't remember being hungover. I'm sure that was. Maybe you throw it all up. Probably. I don't know. But even like when they bring it up sometimes, I'm like literally do not. I can't do it today. I don't have the mental capacity to be that embarrassed over again. Please don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't bring it up. I literally, <sighs> never in my life. Never in my life. So, yeah, there's there's your answer. That's a, that's the drunkest that's the I've worst, ever been in my life.
1: It's the worst feeling in the world when you're so excited to hang out with everybody and you just party a little too hard. Oh, yeah. And it's just over. I feel like I fucking you're nice blew it. Just over. And
2: I spent all the next day apologizing. I was like, oh my God. And I had just met Clay's girlfriend for the first time and which we're really good friends now. But I remember she came back over the next day and I literally took her hand and I was like, I don't know what i said to you yesterday because i was too far gone and i apologize for that (laughs) and she was like you didn't say anything weird and i was like praise the lord praise the lord at least didn't put my fucking foot in my mouth was it like
1: the was it like the loud terrible throwing up like it's out of control
2: oh yeah that is that i can't quietly throw up and that's the worst part too and so I was like, oh, everyone in this house knows that I'm actually dying right now. Right. And then they're just all going to walk in and stay in the doorway. And Tierney's just going to have her hands on her face saying, oh, hamburgers. And I'm just going to be laying in this bed in my inebriated state. And everyone's just going to point and laugh. And then I can never see these people again. I got to leave the BC club. It's just my life is over. That's how it felt.
1: <laughs> did you drink the next day though? You're still you were still hanging out with friends? Did you convince yourself to uh, have another Honestly, drink? Honestly
2: I probably did, let's be honest. I probably <laughs> fucking did. I didn't have liquor.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no liquor. No. Of course not.
2: No, but, <laughs> but, but I'm sure know, I had a beer well, or something. Yeah. Be <laughs> I ain't no quitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jeez. My face is red. I can see it in the camera too. Oh, God.